Let us pray. Most gracious God, we give thanks for your word, and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would move, you would flow, you would work through your word, so that the way we ultimately receive it is is not just as interesting or insightful, but in fact, your living word, spoken unto us this day, shaping us in your likeness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are in the middle of a series on the gift of creation, our relationship to all of creation, our call to be stewards of creation. We looked at in a direct manner last week, but this creation series also has a couple different outlets where we consider how essential imagery from creation helps us understand some of the essentials that we believe about the Christian faith. Jesus, time and again, draws from the reality of creation all around to teach, to help point out an understanding, to deepen an understanding, to speak about God's truth. And certainly water is one of those most prevalent images throughout Scripture. And so today we speak not directly on stewardship of water per se, but but the manner in which this aspect of creation has so much to teach us about who we are and what we believe and how we live. First, from Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. From the wilderness of Sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then our New Testament reading comes from John chapter 4, verse verses 4 through 14, as Jesus is journeying. But he, had, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir... You have no bucket, and the well is deep. 
Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are turning toward that season of the year when there are graduations happening all over the place. Perhaps some of you are graduating, some of you have family graduating, some of you are traveling for graduations. Inevitably, gifts are given to mark the occasion. And one of the best sellers year after year in recent years has been, Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss. In fact, in this graduation season, that book is currently number one in children's books on Amazon.com. It's number 12 overall bestseller on Amazon.com. We love giving this book for graduation because I think it it helps us celebrate the possibilities that, that lay before the graduate. The places, the people, the experiences. Where might you go? What might you choose? But then even as there are oh so many places to go, there are other places you just don't go. Even Seuss's optimistic book, if you read it, it mentions this fact at one point for all the wonderful parts of our world there are some parts you don't go and not now not under those conditions not with that leadership for all the wonderful parts of our city there there are some parts you don't go maybe especially at night maybe especially among those people maybe especially with that situation going on And whether we think of this city or another place we've lived or perhaps a place where we grew up, all of us, I'm sure, can think of some of those places. Some of us may well have come from a place or live in a place where you don't go. And for a Jewish person of Jesus' day, there were plenty of places you do go, and then definitely some, definitely one in particular where you don't go. A Jewish person in Jesus' day You do not go to Samaria. A hundred years before Jesus' birth, the the Jews actually destroyed the Samaritan temple and ravaged the surrounding territory. And then right around the time of Jesus' birth, a band of Samaritans, they scattered bones of dead people in the heart of the temple in Jerusalem. And those were just a couple of the significant acts that were emblematic of this deep-seated division between Jews and Samaritans. These two groups with a, with a common origin, but, but at this point in history, different religions, different ethnic makeups, different traditions, very much enemies. It's what makes the story of the good Samaritan so striking. And so if you're traveling, as Jesus was, from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, and, and, G- and Samaria's, Samaria's right in the middle on the way, as it is, you do not go through Samaria. You go around Samaria. You walk a few more miles to get up to Galilee, and you keep the peace, and you keep your safety, But John chapter 4 verse 4 reads, But Jesus had to go through Samaria. Not Jesus was forced to go through Samaria. Not Jesus 
chose to go through Samaria. In fact, the verb there, it's had. It's a Greek word often used for the divine imperative. Jesus had to go because this was somehow in God's design. This is a non-negotiable, fundamental must. He had to go to the place where you don't go. And so into enemy territory, Jesus walks in the heat of the day and he sits in his tiredness. And then he continues to go to places you just don't go. He speaks to a woman in public. The social customs of the time are not unlike social customs and certainly in some places of our world even this day. Men are not to speak to women in public. You just don't go there. You'll have most definitely transgressed a social boundary, a certain hierarchical boundary, since conversation is at least some nod towards a measure of equality, and you most definitely invite rumors. I mean, you just don't play with societal structures and injustices without inviting some talk. And then on top of that, it's not just a conversation. Jesus opens by expressing his need for water. He opens with his vulnerability, his weakness. His words actually place her in a position of power over him. She has water, he needs it. Now to be sure, that's going to shift here shortly in the conversation as it continues. But, But let's take... A moment to notice that in a culture where the daily prayers of Jewish men included a portion of thanksgiving that had the threefold line that read, praise be to God that he has not created me a woman. In that culture, Jesus not only speaks to a woman, but in fact elevates her into this position of power. You just don't go there. And she knows it. Did you hear? How is it that you, a Jew... Ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria. Religious and geographic boundary, ethnic boundary, gender boundary. You just don't go there and she knows it. And then Jesus explains his reasoning. Well, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And upon hearing that term, living water, if you're a Jewish person at the time and and you know something about the Hebrew scriptures and you're hearing how this story is unfolding, it is at this point where you go, oh, so that is why he goes where you just don't go. Let's back up a moment to appreciate how that insight might dawn upon the attentive Jewish reader. We go back to the Old Testament and the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel, he's prophesying at this time when God's people are in exile. They're scattered about, they're weakened, they're without their temple. It's been destroyed by the Babylonian Empire. The temple is that central space, not just of worship, but really their understanding of the locus of God's presence among them. But Ezekiel eventually speaks of a day when the great temple shall be rebuilt and how from that temple shall flow a river of life. Listen to Ezekiel 47 right at the end of the whole book uh, about what what this will look like as the water flows from the temple. Wherever this river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. Everything will live where the river flows. People will stand fishing beside the sea on the banks. On both sides, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. 
Their lives will not wither, nor will their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water from them flows from the sanctuary, from the heart of God. Their fruit will be for food. Their leaves will be for healing. Ezekiel sees this day when not only is the temple rebuilt, but when this satiating, healing water flows from the temple into every kind of brokenness, sin, evil, injustice, hurt. When healing waters spread out all over the place into those places you just don't go because they're broken, they're dangerous, they're divided. And then one day, Early in Jesus' ministry, John chapter 2, just a couple chapters before our reading today, Jesus actually starts talking about this temple of God with some of the religious leaders. Strikingly, he refers to himself as the true temple of God. So when Jesus speaks of offering the gift of living water... In John chapter 4, it becomes quite clear what is happening. This is Ezekiel's vision. Jesus is the temple, and from him are flowing the healing waters, the flood flood forth upon every broken place where you just don't go. In fact, Jesus makes this point abundantly clear by using the term living water, a Greek term that also meant moving water, in opposition to another term that would refer to Still water, well water, sitting water. Jesus' water is not sitting, quiet, still water, but rather the kind of water that moves from the temple. And much like any kind of water that is in movement, motion, it never really thinks much of the boundaries that get put up. Moving water has a way of flowing right into and around and over and under. And actually, if you give moving water some time, eventually the boundary itself just breaks. Listen to how the Apostle Paul would later proclaim the good news concerning the living water who is Jesus. For Jesus himself is our peace who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Living water moves toward the supposed boundaries that divide one people from another because living water seeks to bring the good news that the dividing wall of hostility actually has no standing in Jesus' reality. There is actually healing, oneness, peace that is most fundamental. And the water, it just keeps pressing on into the dividing wall until the full truth is actually known. Or again, Paul, at another occasion, another letter, Galatians, speaks of the implications of this living water in motion. In Jesus, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Living water flows into any arena of subjugation or discrimination. And give it time and it does what it will do. It will break the boundary that is not of God. It will bring about this beautiful truth that in fact we are all one in Christ Jesus. Living water flows to the places you just don't go, which is why Jesus speaks to a woman in public. 
And then, of course, if there is one place that every single one of us avoids, every one of us tiptoes around in conversation, if there's one place we usually do everything we can to avoid going there, it is death. But living water... It has a gravitational-like pull onto the places that you just don't go or try really hard to avoid for a long time. Because eventually living water himself goes right at death. He is put on a cross. And for three days, it appears, the boundaries of entombed death have finally held this water, dried out this moving water. But give living water time, give living water three days, and he bursts forth from the grave and breaks the boundaries of death, promising water gushing up unto eternal life, as he puts it in John 4.14, for all who receive the gift of this water. He emboldens us to go even unto the darkness of death with a different courage, for we know this water has broken its power, has wrought a healing. You see, time and again, the basic truth about living water is that it always goes to the dark places, the broken places, the painful places, the dangerous places, the places you just don't go because living water is all about bringing a satiating healing and wholeness. No wonder Jesus had to go to Samaria. No wonder this water is so deeply satiating if it can even heal those places. I imagine this day all of us have some favorite places we like to get to. Some spots we hope to get to. But on this John chapter 4 day, I wonder what are some of the places where we just don't go? Where are the spots in our neighborhood we know you don't go? Where are the the people, the spots in our workplace you know you, you don't go there? Where are the conversation topics, you know, in your family, your work, among friends, even in the church? You don't, you don't go there. Where are the injustices, the hurts, the injuries, the pains we have as individuals and even as a society? Where sometimes it just feels, you know, best not to go there. Guns, me too. Abortion. Black Lives Matter, wage discrepancy between men and women, marriage, immigration, death itself. Where are the spaces even within? You just don't go there. And how often you just don't go to a lot of these places because, quite frankly, it's dangerous. It's an arena fraught with hurt or potential hurt. Fraught with division or potential for more division. Fraught with misunderstanding and potential for more cycles of misunderstanding. Fraught with history and layers and cycles of misunderstanding. Or quite literally fraught with enemies. People with whom we vehemently disagree or wish us ill or in fact wish us dead. And so, wisely... We have become experts at sidestepping these certain places, these certain discussions, certain questions, certain self-reflections, certain arenas. But have we received the gift of living water himself? 
Do we drink deeply of this Jesus who had to go to Samaria and strikes up a vulnerable conversation with one among the bitter enemies of another religion and breaks the social codes and risks the rumors that accompany and even flows unto death itself? In in John 7, Jesus actually picks up on the water theme again and, and he declares, out of the believer's hearts who've received this gift of water shall flow rivers of living, moving water. To drink the gift of living water that wells up into eternal life is to, is to drink the kind of water that then flows through our veins and out of our hearts and takes us places literally or otherwise we would not have chosen. It's moving water. And it is most assuredly always moving us, shaping us, and healing us in that motion. To be sure, it is, as Jesus says, deeply, uniquely satiating, but satiating not simply because you sip it and feel better. It's not still water. It's satiating precisely because it carries our whole being into those spaces of deeply, deep healing. We probably wouldn't have gone if it were not for Jesus. And so I wonder, where is living water drawing us this day? Can't be all places and all things at once, but where this day is living water moving in us? Where is that surprising, perhaps terrifying place? Living water is seeking to satiate us unto abundance with healing. Perhaps not unlike the wave of an ocean and its building, its rising motion from behind. We sense this lift of the Spirit moving us. Where? Growing up, everybody in Wyoming, Ohio, knew that you do not go to Lockland, Ohio. I grew up in Wyoming, Ohio, small municipal that shares a, uh, a long border with Lockland, another small municipal. Now, I don't know if when you grow up anyone ever tells you precisely why you don't go to Lockland, but you can stand on this, this beautiful brick walkway in front of the Wyoming donut shop in this quaint Main Street area, and you can stand there and you can look about 50 or 75 yards away, and you could see on the other side of the railroad tracks the convenience store with the bars on the windows and the cars with the flat tires who'd been sitting in that parking lot for who knows how long. And you heard about the crime, and nobody said it, but you saw the significant racial difference between Wyoming and Lockland. And though in Cincinnati there is a certain measure of pride for having been this first stop of freedom on the Underground Railroad, it is a city, in fact, fraught with dozens of race riots over the years, even the 21st century. But at one point in the mid-90s, My grandma, who went to Wyoming Presbyterian Church, she went to Lockland, Ohio. She moved the Valley Food and Clothing Center she had founded many years prior from its Wyoming location to Lockland. And she took no salary. She, She took no security Monday through Friday, during which time the center provided food and clothing and assistance with job search. And she had, as her right hand person, Mabel Evans, a black woman from Lockland, It's a vulnerable way to cross a border. Might have even been a foolish way to cross a border. It's a way of crossing that empowers the other side. And Grandma died last spring. 
And this unlikely center continues to thrive, largely as a faith-based community center, now partnering with other Lachlan organizations to build self-sustainability for all who come through. It reminds me that when living water is on the move, whether geographic or otherwise, sometimes it does not carry us all the way across the world. Sometimes it carries us just across the tracks or just next door or even across the living room or the next pew or another part of the denomination. And when living water is moving us, it has us lead with vulnerability. Jesus starts by admitting his thirst, placing himself at the mercy of the enemy, even lifting the other into the position of power. Jesus confronts death not with a sword but a cross. And so perhaps this morning we have named a place or two where living water is moving us, taking us. We know there is healing therein, if not some scariness. What does it look like to step into that space with Jesus And do so vulnerably, with questions before answers, with our need before our help, with our confessions before our our assertions, with love before judgment. Oh, the places you'll go. It's probably a really good line to speak to someone right before they open their soul and receive the gift of living water. Though perhaps with the caveat that with this abundant water, this satiating water, this eternal water, it is moving water and it cannot help but take people to places where you just don't go. But don't worry. That's actually what makes it so surprisingly, uniquely, beautifully good. Amen.